Hey, welcome to Church Alive. Our mission is to reach, teach, and empower people to impact their generation for Christ. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the message. I want to talk to you about unveiling Jesus. Great to see you in the house of God. I just want to say this. It's Christmas season coming up, Thanksgiving season coming up. It'll be one of the greatest opportunities to bring people to church, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. And so I just want to so encourage you to do that. And our church is an inviting church. Do you believe that? When we're getting out more chairs and filling it and just, uh, just so believe that God wants to do something even more significant in this Christmas season. When I was um, five, I ran away from home. I know, it's a little bit disturbing. Now that I think about it, I'm like, what was going on in my home that I, that I ran away? I literally ran away. Now, obviously, I didn't run that far. I was five. I ran across the street. I brought crackers, peanut butter, and a blanket with me. And I climbed up this tree and I told my mom and dad, I'm not coming back. I don't even remember what happened. And it must have been right after Easter time because I told my sister and my brother, hey, go get my Easter egg. I forgot it. So I had a blanket, I had peanut butter, I had crackers and I had my Easter egg. And I was up in the tree for a number of hours and then I actually forgot what I was mad about. So I just walked on back home. And I think my mom was literally watching from the window and just kind of laughing at her silly little son who was upset about something that he couldn't even remember what it was. It was a perceived brokenness. Someone say perceived. Years later, I had a friend of mine that literally ran away from his home because there was not a perceived fracture, a perceived brokenness. There was an actual brokenness. He was literally being sexually abused in his own house and he ran away. And I have found that in our lives, we often run away from from God because of, first of all, a perceived fracture or an actual fracture in our lives. We often internalize, obviously, many of the things that can possibly go wrong in our lives, we internalize them and begin to begin to look at God in a different way. And it, and it skews what, how we think of God, how we think of His goodness, and how we think of His grace. I was at a men's meeting just recently, and on Thursday and Friday, one of the most significant men's ministries really all around the world who's helping men in places like Indonesia and Africa, all throughout Brazil, um, all kinds of different stuff. And they told a story of a African-American fellow in Dallas, Texas that grew up in the projects and, and um, he grew up with a single, single mother and, and the mother was so concerned by the drug use and, and the danger of the surrounding suburbs that she would rarely let him out but he would look on his couch and he would look through the window and unfortunately he lived in the kind of uh, community and kind of suburb that the only thing he could see from his window was prostitutes and crack dealers and pimps and all kinds of different stuff. And he was a real big, big man. And as he got older, what do you think he ended up doing? Because what you see, when you begin to see the fracture and the brokenness of the world, you and I actually begin to replicate why or what we see. How many think it's important you and I see Jesus clear? 
How many think it's important that you and I see God clearer in His goodness and His grace? Because I'll tell you this, since the Garden of Eden, the devil has been painting God as bad and himself as good. But we need to unveil Jesus today. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is better than you think He is. Jesus is greater than you think He is. Jesus' grace is more than you think it is. Come on, second service. Are you going to help me preach this or not? Luke chapter 19 says this. Luke 19 verse 1. This is my assignment. Are you ready for it? Verse 1 says this. Then Jesus entered. Someone say Jesus entered. Then Jesus entered. It's always a good day when Jesus enters and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief uh, tax collector and he was rich and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. Someone say today. I believe today Jesus wants to invade someone's life today. I believe today Jesus wants to send his goodness and his grace into lives. I don't just say it. I believe every time we get together in the house of God, Jesus is actually here to change someone's life. But we need to be like Zacchaeus who are not just content to stay with the crowd, but we'll climb up a sycamore tree. Whatever is stopping us from seeing Christ, can we get a hunger to see Jesus? Uh, is anyone in here hungry to see Jesus? Even if you're not, I promise you he's better than you think. He is God Almighty. Can I, anyone say amen? amen. So the, verse 7 says this. Oh, sorry. Verse 6 says, so he made haste and he came down. He did it quickly. He didn't just stay up in the tree. He literally made haste. So I want to tell you this. When God begins to speak to your life, the best thing you can do is make haste. The best thing you can do is when in a moment of worship that you feel the Spirit of God nudging you to raise your hands, the best thing you can do is respond in that moment. If I do an altar call and I call people forward, the best thing you can do is make haste and come quickly because haven't you noticed that when God speaks, also other voices speak? Fear speaks. What will they think? Who are they anyway? Don't you often think of they? Who are they? They are in your way. They are in your way to stop you getting to Christ. But I want to encourage you today. Listen, when God speaks, you need to make haste. You need to do it. Don't put it off. Then the Bible says this, so he made haste and came down and we received him joyfully. Sometimes you have a picture of God, he's angry. He's up there up in heaven, he's got a stick and he wants to beat you. But notice this, listen, we honestly need to clean our glasses sometimes. Because we see God not as he is, we see God as life has happened to us. 
or we see God in tweetable tweets, or we see God in an Instagram quote, but God wants you to see Him clearer. And He's better, He's better than you think. He's better than you think. And I promise you, even if sometimes God asks you to give up something hard, He's doing it for your good, and later you'll look back and go, man, I'm glad I gave up that, because Zacchaeus gave up some things, but how many of you know He got the better things? Do you believe that? Here's what the Bible says in verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Someone say that's good news. Zacchaeus, if you're not aware of the story, now some of you know a lot of Bible, you grew up in a church and some of you, you know, probably you, someone invited you and you don't have a biblical concept or a biblical narrative and I just want to tell you, that's cool, that's okay. Tax collectors at that time were looked down upon as the least in culture, the very worst. Now here's the good news, you got some money but everyone thinks you're a jack wagon. You got all the bling, but everyone hates you. What would make a man choose to be a tax collector if everyone hates you? A fractured family. I I, I don't have basis on this theologically, but I would say this practically. I guarantee Zacchaeus didn't have a great dad. Zacchaeus maybe had a mom and maybe there there was all kinds of different stuff, but I promise you there was no great man in the home. Because I, I, let, me, let me share this actual fact when it comes to the, the need of fatherhood and the desire of God to heal the image of God in you, both men and women. Listen to this, the number one indicator of poverty, of drug addiction, of homelessness is fatherless in the home. And I came to preach to someone that, listen, if you've had the worst dad or no dad, God wants to heal you so that you will not repeat the cycle, but you will break the cycle and you can become the champion of your generation. Can I get a good amen? Do you know that anywhere between 30 to 40 percent of u.s households today have no fathers in the home 78 percent on urban environments have no fathers and the statistics are worse in other countries i remember uh reading a uh, actually being in a men's meeting it was 10 men four of them had been to jail and we had the question how is your relationship with your dad The four that had been to jail, every single one of them had no relationship, no connection with their dad. It it was a picture of the brokenness of our world. I I want to say to you today that I believe Zacchaeus chose chose a employment that was looked down upon, but... God wanted to restore him because he knows that fractured people fracture people. He knows that broken people break people. How many of you would love to or would have loved to grow up in a healthy, happy home? Can I see a number of hands in the house of God, right? Some of you don't even want to go up in a healthy, happy home, but that's your problem. Most of us do, right? The Lord's calling. 
He wants you to grow up in a healthy, happy home. He also wants you to shut your cell phone off. <laughs> the story I told before of a man in Texas that grew up in an urban environment, a drug-filled environment, a prostitute-filled environment. As he grew up older, by the t time I think he was 30 years old, he had 21 prostitutes under his watch. He was a pimp. And one day, his little boy said to him, Daddy, what do you do for a living? And when his son asked him a question, Daddy, what do you do for a living? It literally broke him because he didn't want to say what he did. And all of a sudden he went home that night and he prayed this prayer. He says, God, I don't know anything else, but if you make a way out for me, I promise you I'll change. And that next week or the week after, someone invited him to a church. He found the house of God, but he didn't just attend services. He got involved in a men's group called Maximize Manhood. And they begin to teach him identity and, and, and responsibility and saying, you can become the man God intends you to be. This is what the house of God does. It takes people with broken identities. Because I want to say this to you today. If, if, if culture or anyone else is giving you an identity other than Jesus Christ wants to give you, it is a forged identity. Yeah. But God wants to put His identity and morph it on you. And it happens in a moment, but it happens over the process of time. Someone say moment. Someone say process. It happens in a moment, but how many of you know you and I don't just meet God in a moment and then we're angels? <laughs> Haven't you found that? I mean, I don't know about you. Now, some of you might be different. You're like, I met the Lord and now I'm like Gabriel. <laughs> I float around and wherever I go, I just give gifts to people. And <sighs> I've normally found that person's full of crap. God needs to process us. Yeah. Are you with me, Church Alive? Yeah. Let me give you my first uh, particular thought today is this. When Jesus is unveiled, our sight is healed. When Jesus is unveiled, our sight is healed. Zacchaeus is literally what the, the, the time says the worst of the worst. He hangs with the worst of the worst. What I find amazing about Jesus is he is not repelled by the worst of the worst, but he is attracted to the worst of the worst. And actually the thing that will hinder your life and my life coming fully to Christ is actually to feel like I'm better than someone else. Isn't it amazing in the story that when Zacchaeus runs down the tree and meets Jesus, everyone complains, Jesus is visiting sinners, forgetting they were sinners. Yeah. Isn't it easy? Isn't your heart a little bit leans that way sometimes? You're like, <laughs> those sinners over there, I'm better than them. And we forget that actually the Bible says all of us, all of us, all of us have sinned. I never had to teach my kids to lie. Did you? Did you have lessons in lying? Any teachers here just do lessons in how to betray people, how to talk bad about people? How many know that's not a class in elementary school? That's not a class in middle school. If you're a teacher in here, how many know it just happens? Right? It's the, it's the condition of the heart. And what's interesting was they said Zacchaeus, he's a sinner, forgetting they were. 
You know, the apostle Paul said, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he says that he is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But then in different texts, he says, I am the least of all the apostles and I am the worst of all the sinners. Isn't it amazing that he was comfortable with both? He's comfortable declaring I'm righteous in God's sight, but he was also comfortable to saying I needed a savior. How many believe you need someone to forgive you? You need someone to heal you. You need someone to wipe away the things you've done wrong in your life. About 20% of the room. That's good. I got a bit of work to do. I got my work cut out for me today in pastoring people. Zacchaeus has a fractured view of God. That's why he's running from God. He's living a high life. And then all of a sudden, one word from Jesus. Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, I love that he knows his name. Zacchaeus knows Jesus' name, but he cannot think to himself why he would know his name. Jesus knows your name. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows your background. He knows the fractured places and the good places. He knows. And he says, Zacchaeus. I must come to your house. I must stay at your house. Can I say today that Jesus wants to come into your house and he doesn't want to visit you on Sunday. No, he wants to stay. Isn't that the challenge? Jesus, I'll meet you on Sunday, but leave me the hell alone Monday to Saturday. (laughs) I came to preach to someone. That's why there's so much hypocrisy in the world. He says, Zacchaeus, I must come and I must stay with you. He's like, but Lord, you know the parties I've had at my house? You know the drinks that's all over there? You know the weed that's all over the place? You know what's been done in my house? You know what's... The debauchery and the stuff that's been done in my house? My house is spring break all the time. That's my house and you want to come? He's like, yes. I'm going to come to your house. Can I hang in your house? He's like, first I'm going to clean it up. He says, no, 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 you can't clean it up. Because all you're going to do is take your mess and throw it down the basement and hide it. And all of us do this at different times. We take our mess and we're like, oh Lord, I'm going to put it down the basement and the Lord won't know. Are you sure? He said, he, listen, he knows the number of hairs on your head. Yes, come on. You don't think what, he knows what's going on in the attic and the basement of our houses and our minds and our lives. Yeah. You don't think he knows. But here's the thing, he loves us anyway. Amen. Yeah. But what I love about Zacchaeus is he's hungry enough to climb a tree. He's hungry enough to stand out. He walks up a sycamore tree. Why? Because he's sick. Of his unfulfilled life. He's sick. He wants to see this this person that everyone's been talking about forgives and heals and casts out demons and sets people free. And he's like, I'm sick of my own life. Anyone's sick of your own life? Anyone's sometimes sick of your own mistakes? Sick of just doing the same thing, same thing all the time, all the time, all the time. Just sick of it. Sick of it. Climbs up a sycamore tree. See, God, I believe, responds to your hunger. God responds to your hunger. 
God responds to, the, for, for some reason, I don't know why, I think it's the humility factor that it actually takes to get his attention. He doesn't say anything to that crowd, but he says to the one who gets his attention. This is why we lift our hands in worship because we're like, God, I'm hungry for you. And there's something about when you lift your hands, he says, oh, I, I want to meet with that one. I want to, I want to, I want to change their life. There's something about when someone invites you to receive Christ. There's something about when you have to walk down an altar and say, man, I need more of God in my life. Why? There's something that seems to grab God's attention when you and I say, I am hungry for you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst. He says, after righteousness, for then you shall be filled. And, and Zacchaeus is so sick of his own party life that he climbs a tree gets up in that tree and Jesus looks up to him and says Zacchaeus let me come and stay with you and everyone freaks out because he is the worst of the worst text message Let me say this, Jesus didn't come to start a religion yeah. or sell a book, but to win a war for the hearts of mankind. Yeah. Jesus didn't come to start a religion or sell a book, but to win a war for the hearts of mankind. Why? Because he says, I came that you might to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you've been a Christian a long time, have you got too busy? I know I do this sometimes. I get too busy to care about people who are lost. I might be at, the, at a restaurant somewhere and sometimes I forget. Oh yeah, this waitress or this waiter, they have a name and maybe they need an invitation. Maybe they need to come and meet Christ. I'm, I'm still surprised. How many, do you know that 85% of people will say yes to you if you invite them to the house of God? But isn't it amazing that so often we actually hear stories of, I couldn't go to church, the walls would fall in. Understand this, Jesus came to save the most moral and the least moral and everyone in between. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Let me give you point number two today. When we unveil Jesus, we act according to our restored identity. Our restored identity. Verse 8 says this, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham, to really understand the power of that moment, you have to understand how high Abraham was in the minds of a Jewish person. He is the starter of their country. He is the starter of their faith. He is Father Abraham. In John chapter 8, when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and they're getting mad at him and yelling at him, and they literally say, we are sons of Abraham. And he looks at the worst of the worst and he looks at him and says today salvation has come to your house for you are a son of Abraham and it's scandalous to call the worst of the worst the best of the best 
It is scandalous to call the worst of the worst, the best of the best, but that's actually what grace does. That's what grace does. Calls the worst of us, not even the best of us. It says you're not just the best of us, you are righteous in God's sight. Do you believe it? Let me tell a quick story today. For some reason, I was thinking of um, Disney this morning, as all great men do. (laughs) It just means I've got kids. I was thinking for some reason in my office, I was thinking of one of the stories of Disney. And I thought to myself, I wonder if God weaves his story through some of the stories that you and I know. And in May, I think of this year, we got to take our kids to Disney and And we got to see Beauty and the Beast. And for some reason, sometimes when they're doing the Beauty and the Beast little show, they actually grab people from the crowd and they make them the characters. And they grabbed my little daughter, Hope, who's four, said, hey, you're going to be the Beast. And that's when I wanted to choke someone because I'm like, she's four, why are you calling her the Beast? (laughs) Couldn't she be the princess? What's going on? But my wife was like, settle down, babe. It's okay. And I'm like, no, it's not. She's like, yes, it is. But for some reason, I began to think about Beauty and the Beast. And isn't it amazing that the man who is really a very immoral man, he's pleasure-filled, he's having all kinds of parties, and he's become arrogant and pompous. And then all of a sudden, a very ugly woman, old, tainted, looks like a beggar, she shows up to to the castle and she offers him something. And he refuses it and laughs at her. And then all of a sudden, this ugly, old, very poor looking woman all of a sudden turns into this absolutely the most beautiful of all beings. And all of a sudden, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, too late, you are cursed. Then at that moment, for the next number of years, he's turned into, a, from a handsome man, you know the story, to this ugly beast who's angry. And the only thing that will break the power of the curse is what? Love. The only thing that will break the power of this man being actually this ugly image is a moment of love. Unselfish love. There's this moment where he has to decide, should I be loving or should I hang on to what I have? And when he does this act of love, then all of a sudden the curse is broken. I want to tell someone today, listen, the truth is we, we live in a broken world. I mean, if, if, if you don't know that, maybe you need to look around a little bit. Like, why do you lock your doors at night? Why would you not trust someone with your credit card? I mean, think about how many people you'd actually just give your credit card to and go, there you go. I'll see you in a week or two. Like, how many people? How many people would just go, here, have my car. Here, mind my kids. If you want to know how messed up the world is, know how protective you are and who minds your kids. Why? Because there's so many hidden things that are actually in our lives and no one knows about. And statistics say that one in four girls at one time of her life are sexually abused. One in five to one in six men are sexually abused at some stage of their life. And we want to talk about a perfect world. Uh Uh-uh. It's not here. 
But then the essence of who Jesus is, He comes in in this most unselfish of acts. The King of all kings steps down to men like Zacchaeus and women who were prostitutes and all kinds of different things. But the interesting thing about the gospel is the gospel often tells us that Jesus would meet with one person who was kind of the most, like the woman of the night who washes his feet or the, the man who's tricked everyone and now's rich. And the, the, the gospel tells a story time after time of the least righteous that Jesus came to save. But the truth of the matter is, it's not the least righteous that Jesus necessarily needs to save. It's everyone in between. Because the danger of being actually moral and going to church, the danger of that is to actually look our nose down upon someone else and forget that one day we were Zacchaeus. One day we climbed a tree. One day we needed the touch of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. Is anyone with me in the house of God? And I want to tell you today that God Himself looks at you and me and He says, son, daughter, I want to come and eat with you. And you're like, Anthony, does that mean I've got to go to the church all the time? Forget the standards. It's not about the standards. It's not about the morals. It's about the person. It's about the presence. Because you can't clean up your life by doing the do's and the don'ts, it's all about the person. Christianity is not about the rules, it's about the person. Whenever, in all the Gospels, in the Old Testament, New Testament, when God changes a life, He does three things. He shows up to the person and reveals His goodness. He then says to them, I have a plan for you. And third thing is, He says, I'm going with you. Hear me again. Every time, and I, wanna, and, I, and I pray that today, when I talk to you, I'm not talking to the crowd. I'm not talking to the person behind you. I'm not talking to your sister who might really, really need it. Or your brother, I hope he's getting it. Don't we do that in preaching sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I really hope my husband gets it. Woo! Pastor Anthony, just give it to him. Yeah, kick him. He's a jerk. And then the husband's like, yeah, just, just get her. Just get her. <laughs> did you hear of that, babe? <laughs> On the way home, driving home. Did you hear what the pastor said? Because <laughs> I reckon he was talking to you. <laughs> but she looks at you and goes, I thought he was talking to you. I just want to tell you today, I'm talking to you. Come on, put your, put your finger right here. Just go, he's talking to me. Every time in Scripture God shows up to someone, every time He reveals, well, I can't say every time, but most of the time He reveals He's good, there's a plan for you, and then He says, I'm going with you. You're like, Pastor Anthony, what about this thing? And what about this thing I do? And what about this thing I do? He's good. He has a plan for you. He's going with you because I don't need to receive. Zacchaeus does not need to invite Jesus into his home one time. Watch this now in John chapter 16. The Bible says this, John 14 says this. He says to his disciples, watch this. He says, John 14 verse eight says this. I will not leave you 
as orphans. He says, but I'll come to you. Do you know that if you live a faith life and a Christian life that only ever affects your Sunday, you may have an authentic faith, but you are living as an orphan. Zacchaeus, perhaps he was orphaned. Perhaps his family was dysfunctional. We don't know why he would choose that kind of life, but we know he was fractured. But Jesus sees him because of his hunger and he knows his name. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out with you. I want to give you the invitation that I think is the greatest invitation of all humanity. It's God wants to live with you. God wants to put himself in you. That is the message of the gospel. It's literally, I want to come and I want to live in you. Come on, do you feel that? Would you stand to your feet for a moment? Because the service is so packed, I, I wanted to bring some people forward pray but I don't think we have room but here's what I want you to do if you're sick if you're sick of just doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing and the same thing watch what Zacchaeus did he climbs a sycamore tree he stands out from the crowd and when Jesus calls him out of the tree he is sick no more Sick or more, or not sick at all. You've got to get God's attention. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Close your eyes with me. Jesus says, I want to come and I want to spend time with you. I want to hang with you. I want my presence to be real in your life. If you want His goodness, if you want His grace to touch your life, all across this place, I want you to lift your hands in a moment of surrender. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and sing one song. And I just want us just just for a few minutes just to worship. And I believe that God can meet you where you are, in your seats. I believe He can touch your life where you need it. I believe I'm asking Him that the invitation that He gave to Zacchaeus, that that would resonate in your heart, that it wouldn't be another religious service if you come all the time. If you grew up Catholic or Christian, it doesn't matter. You grew up non-religious. He is speaking to you that He doesn't want you to stay where you are, but He he just says, Son, I, I need to come closer. I need to come into your home. I'm not here to attend you on a Sunday. I'm here to transform your life. I didn't die on a cross so that you could have morals. I died on the cross so I could have you. Come on all across this place. Would we worship for a moment? Come on. Let's lift Jesus high right now.